into the Passion Week where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem to the cheers of Hosanna to the highest. But yet on Thursday and Friday, he was being persecuted. So even this week, as we prepare for Easter Sunday, may the Lord deal with us this week to remind us just what it costs that we may be reconciled to our Father, which art in heaven. But this morning, because it is Palm Sunday, I would like to read for us in Matthew, the 11th chapter, where it's reported to us the events of of Jesus's triumphal entry. And as we prepare for worship this morning, you can participate with us by following along in your own Bible. You can get out the bed, go to a table, get the family up this morning, ask them to join you. When we read the scriptures together, you stand and read with us just as if we were here. When we stand and sing, you stand and sing. When we bow and pray, you bow and pray. But I just want to give you the opportunity to join in worship with us. Because we know that worship is a participant's sport. Mark 11, chapter beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a coat tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that, had, that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around and everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we enter to worship this day, may we be mindful that it is our Lord Jesus Christ who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is victorious and he is triumphant because he is raised from the grave. Now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf, on my behalf, that we would be faithful in being obedient and trusting in him. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Gracious and eternal Father, we humbly approach your mighty throne of grace. Allowed entry because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, empowered and emboldened by your Holy Spirit. 
And Father, as we come, we acknowledge your power. We acknowledge your presence in this place. We acknowledge that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We acknowledge that you are worthy of our affections. You are worthy of our attention this morning, O Lord. And though we may not be worshiping together in one place, we are united because of your Holy Spirit, sons and daughters of the Most High. So grateful for our brother Christ Jesus who laid down his life that we may be reconciled and adopted into your family. And Father, because we have been adopted, we just shout hallelujah, hosanna in the highest. Not because of just what we think you're going to do for us, but because of just who you are. And Father, as we prepare for worship, may we worship in spirit and in truth. Because you are the great and mighty king of the universe. And Father, this morning, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of trouble, we ask that you would cut right through and allow us to see you and to hear you. May we experience worship in an awesome and mighty way this morning, oh God. May you have mercy, O oh Lord, and, and meet us and, and open up our eyes and open up our ears and prepare our hearts to worship you this morning, O oh God. Father, I thank you for all those in attendance right now. I pray, I thank you that uh, you, you have waking us up, allowed us another day's journey, O oh Lord. May we never take for granted the opportunity to worship you. And Father, I ask that you would come and you would be with us in this place. Part your spirit upon the praise team and the media team. Please part your Holy Spirit upon the preacher of this hour. May all that we think, say, and do be holy and acceptable in your sight, O oh God. Father, we ask for the one who is anxious and in despair. Father, you declare that we need to be still. Know that you are God. Lord, you are in control and you are trustworthy. You are better to, better to us than we can ever be to ourselves. So we trust in you with all our heart this morning and lean not to our own understanding. In all our ways, Lord, help us to acknowledge you. and You will direct our paths. May you direct our worship service. May all that is said, all that is done be for your glory, for your honor, for your namesake. In the precious, matchless, and mighty name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people say it together, amen. Continue in worship, stand and sing with us as we are led in the songs to the Lord. Jesus is mine. 
worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Amen. Amen. Every praise is to our God. Yes, and we want to praise God this morning just through spending time in prayer and this morning just want to uh, give you the opportunity to to pray with us uh, and and having a a time a a concert of prayer and what we like to do is to just uh, give you the opportunity to pray where you are for our current situation and I, I'm just going to give you a, a a topic give you a minute allow you to pray about that specific topic and then uh, I'll pray and then move us to the next topic that we want to be praying about. So the first thing we want to be praying about is we want to pray for those who are in the hospital sick. We want to pray for those who are infected, those who are dealing with the, uh, this, this tragedy in, in, a, in a most personal way as their bodies are afflicted with this disease. So for the next minute, just where you are, just bow your head and pray for those who are uh, sick and afflicted because of this virus. Just spend some time, pray for about a minute. Jehovah Rapha, we call upon you because you are a healer. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you would bring healing upon the many, the thousands who are in the hospitals, the thousands who are on respirators, the thousands who are on their sick beds right now, dear God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you would bring healing to their bodies. That you would restore their souls and restore their strength that they can get out of the bed, oh God. Father, we know many stories, many personal stories of our family, friends, and loved ones who have been infected by this disease, oh God. And Father, I just ask that you would indeed allow the, uh, whatever is needed to care for them well to show up right on time. Father, I ask that you would indeed be the God of all comfort, able to comfort each one of them in, in the time of their affliction. But Father, we lift them up now in the name of Jesus, asking that you would heal their bodies, oh God, as only you can. You are the great physician. Though you have given us many modern uh, technological advances in medicine, dear God, we know ultimately the power of life and, uh, uh, and death is in your hands. And Father, I ask that you will restore many. 
And we ask that in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. And at this time, we know many are dealing with the loss of loved ones because of this virus. So we want to pause and pray for the bereavement of family, friends, and loved ones. So right now, where you are, just pray for the bereaved as they are dealing with the loss of family, friends, and loved ones. Father, we just cry out mercy. Have mercy on us, O oh God. Have mercy upon those who are dealing with the loss of loved ones. Dealing with the loss of family, dealing with the loss of friends right now, O oh God. Just have mercy, O oh Lord. Father, I heard it written how horrible a disease that, that causes you to die alone. And it is so many, oh God, who are dying alone because their family and their friends cannot be with them uh, alongside their bedsides right now in this dark hour. But Father, we know that even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us and you are with those who, who call upon you as Lord and Savior. Father, you're in those hospital rooms. You're, you're next to those beds. And I ask, oh God, that you would bring comfort and sense of peace. Father, I, I ask that you would supernaturally bring about a confession of sin and repentance and trust in you. And Father, I pray that your mercy, your grace, and your peace would fall upon us each of these families that have been directly affected. Lord, we cry out, have mercy. And please use us, your people, to be your hands and your feet, your arms and, and your mouth in these tragic times to speak a word fit for the season. Help us to be encouraging and uplifting Help us right now, dear God, to be salt and light. That we would be a source of encouragement to those who are broken down in despair. But even in spite of the circumstance, Lord, we still trust you. And we cry out, Never, nevertheless, not our will be done, but your will be done. In Jesus' name. we want to be praying for our healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, custodians. We want to be praying for our first responders, police, medics. 
We want to be praying for our city leaders. We want to be praying for Mayor Fisher. We want to pray for our state, Governor Bashir. We want to pray for our nation, President Trump. And we want to pray for every single world leader that you would place a hedge of protection about them and that you would give them wisdom from on high. So let's go ahead and pray for healthcare workers and our leaders. Father, we pause to lift up every single first responder. We lift up every single health care worker. Father, we lift up every single person who is still on the job, giving up themselves sacrificially. And we ask, dear God, that you would supernaturally protect them as they are serving others. Even while fearful for their own health and safety. Father, please use their hands and feet to be a source of healing for a source of peace. But Lord, we ask that you would give your angels charge over them right now, that you would keep them. Father, we pray for all of our leaders, whether it be our mayor, our governor, our president. We pray for prime ministers. We pray for king and queens. We pray for all those in positions of authority. And Father, we ask that uh, that you would give them wisdom from on high. We know, oh God, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So Father, before they fear themselves, before they fear this disease, before they fear what the people may say about them, Father, please give them a healthy fear of you. And Father, may they act out of, out, of, out of a heart of compassion, not out of a heart of self-centeredness. Father, may they forget about their own pockets and make sure that they are leading for the sake of everyone who is in danger. Please use this government, oh God, to do what you have ordained it to do, and that is to do good. To be righteous to do justice we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ and lastly at home I just want you to pray for the church God's church the people of God and all those churches uh, around this entire world that that services have been uh, suspended and canceled uh, because of this virus but be praying for the people of God that we won't forget our God but that even in the midst of this we would hunger and thirst for righteousness even more so let's pray for the church right now
Heavenly Father, I just lift up your church. I lift her up because she is hurting right now, oh God. I lift up your church because she is fractured in the sense that we can't gather together to lift your name up. But Father, we stand here encouraged because you said that the gates of hell would never prevail against your church. So, Father, if the gates of hell can't prevail against your church, we know a virus can't prevail against your church. We know this situation of circumstance can't prevail against your people because it is it is you who covers and keeps her. And and no one can do anything apart from your permission. And Father, you have our best interests at heart. So even though we may not be able to to gather, Lord, we know that you are with us. And Father, may we never, ever again forsake the fellowship of believers, the opportunity to gather, to lift you up, oh God, but help us to appreciate that which is holy, that which is magnificent, that which that that you love, oh God, the our ability to come and be with one another, to sharpen one another, to give holy hugs and holy kisses. But Father, thank you for the worship service we're able to have. Via the technology that you have given unto man. And Father, I ask that you will strengthen your church even as you prune your church. But Father, through this circumstance, I ask that you would not only prune your church, that you would strengthen your church and that you would spread your church, that many will come to know the name of Jesus in these troubling times. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for for your people praying in unison. The great and mighty privilege we have. We ask that you will be with us for the rest of this worship service, that you will receive all the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise. And all of God's people said together, amen. Are the 
have done. I'm grateful. Yes, I'm grateful for the victories we won. I could go on and on about your
Grateful to be in the house of the Lord. Grateful to be able to worship his holy and righteous name. I greet you, Forest Baptist Church, in the name of Jesus Christ. To our friends and visitors who have tuned in today with us this morning to worship in this very unique way. During this very unique time in history. We are unable to physically gather together as a local church body, but I thank God that we have the ability to worship through social media and through internet resources. I am so glad that us being the church is not predicated on our ability to meet within these four walls. Pastor Nate's words ring true all the more in this time that we are simply the church of Christ and when we are here we are gathered at, at force but right now we are the church of Christ still even when we're scattered even when we are not able to meet even in the midst of social distancing a pandemic uh, whatever the world may throw at us we are the church of Christ and that's what we are expected to be in season and out of season I am so grateful to be able to stand before you today to to preach uh, this new sermon uh, sermon series on Jonah I'm very excited about the book of Jonah and being able to delve in and, and dive into a deep study into the life of this minor prophet and just grateful for the opportunity. Thank you, Pastor Nate and to Forest Baptist Church for, for this opportunity. I am extremely humble. And as you turn with me to the book of Jonah. It may take you a minute to find. It's a very small book in the Old Testament. The first chapter, and we'll be going through the first through the sixth verses. And as you, as you flip in your Bibles or maneuver through your devices in order to find this book, I just want to give a quick background and context of the book of Jonah. Um, many of us are extremely familiar with the book of Jonah. Um, from our childhood, and it is usually, and it has the persona of the 
of a child's story and features uh, a large fish or a well, and most children remember that most clearly, and it's uh, a great tool to use for our children to get them to retain the general beginning, middle, and end plot line of the story. But at the same time, that could be a big problem with with being able to study this book. The problem with this is that we, it has been so simplified that as adults, we only know about Jonah what we have read as children. In those animated and very colorful children books or what we have learned from that famous video of the talking cucumber and the little red tomato known as VeggieTales, my prayer today is that young and old through the sermon series on Jonah, that we are able to look at this very true biblical account of the prophet Jonah with new eyes, and that God will change our hearts to be soft and receptive to his voice. Jonah was a minor prophet in a very unique time in Israel's history. He prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II, who was described as an awesome political leader, restoring Israel borders uh, comparable to the glory of King Solomon's rule. But spiritually, his rule was, des was described as evil in the sight of the Lord. There was much idol worship, injustice, and wickedness going on in Israel during this time. The book of Amos and Hosea uh, condemns some of the evil that went on during Jeroboam's reign and during Jonah's tenure as prophet of God. There is very little known about the prophet of Jonah outside of these 48 verses of this book. While other minor prophets laid out the specific message to a specific people, this book is a little bit different in that it follows and tells about the prophet of God, the disobedience and the hardness of heart that the prophet Jonah displayed. Now going into the series, it, is, it will be extremely easy to see every wrong move that Jonah has made. It will be super easy to see the futility and the foolishness of Jonah's every action. The harder but necessary thing will be seeing how similar that we are to Jonah and being able to submit where he rebelled. I am asking and begging you to ask God to soften your hearts today and to lead us into repentance and faith in areas of our life where we have refused to relinquish control. Now, Jonah was called in this book to cry out against the Assyrian capital, capital of Nineveh, a people who were characterized as heinous, brutal, and quite innovative in the art of warfare. They are known for inventing siege warfare. Siege warfare is where an army would surround a city, cut off its imports and exports, and wait patiently while they consumed all the resources and had no choice but to surrender. Now, when, they, when this city would offer surrender, most times the Ninevites would not accept it.
but they will wait for the king to come out. And there was brutal beheadings. There was flayings, ungodly loss of life, and mountains of beheaded bodies and skulls lay in the wake of some of the most boastful works of the Ninevites. The Ninevites were evil to the point where it had reached the heavens and the outcry for relief was before the ears of the Most High God. Now that we have some background on the, on the, the book of Jonah, if you would just take with me as a sermon, a title for this sermon series, Accepting and Rejecting God's Grace. Accepting and Rejecting God's Grace. And for this sermon, we'll be looking at the dangers of a hardened heart. And if you would, bow with me in prayer as we go before God, asking him to, to just soften our hearts to his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord God, just humble humbled right now, Lord God, just to be able to hear from you, Lord God. We thank you so much, Lord God, for this unique time that you have placed us, Lord God, where where your word is such a comfort to us, Lord. We ask right now, even as the preached word go forth, that it will not return void, Lord God, but it would accomplish whatsoever that you would have it accomplished, Lord. I ask right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you strengthen your weak servant right now, Lord God, that you would use my weak and feeble words to to express your powerful message, Lord God. Speak to me. Speak through me. You get the glory. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Now, Jonah, the first chapter, as we read the first through the six verses, it reads like this. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. For, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Six. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Amen. Amen. 
Now, this is a very, very unique book in that it speaks of the unfaithfulness of God's servant. And it speaks to and displays and even magnifies the life of the servant of God in a way that shows his every flaw. And we see here that the dangers of a hardened heart through the life of Jonah is first that the hardened heart, having a hardened heart will cause us to flee the presence of the Lord. The first through the third chapter shows that this prophet of God, Jonah, was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He had, had heard from God, and what he heard was not according to what he wanted to hear. And he made a decision right then and there that it was so too much to even bear that he would want to flee from the presence of God. Now, now reading this, we we see how ridiculous it sounds to try to flee from the presence of God. Knowing what we know about our God, we know that he has three very distinct traits. One is omnipotent, meaning that he is all-powerful. Two, he is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing. And three is the thing that makes this attempt by the prophet of God very foolish is that he is omnipresent. That means he exists everywhere at all times. Psalms 139, 7 through 11 tells us, whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. I, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. So we see that the Bible isn't like to talk about the omnipresence of God. Jeremiah says it like this, I am I a God at hand and not a God far off? Do not I feel heaven and earth? The omnipresence of God appears in the activities of nature. It appears in the supervision of providence. It appears in the voice of conscience. It appears in the conquest of righteousness. Even the desert waste has some sign of its order. While the poor heathen fears and trembles under the sense that there is a God who sees his actions and who will bring him into judgment. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. So we see, we wonder about Jonah's actions already. In the first three verses, what is he trying to do? God tells him to go to Nineveh, which is east. And he goes and finds the, the furthest city, the furthest am, am, amount of miles away to try to flee from. This is the most ludicrous thing that we see in this book thus far. And, and we see that though his, his actions are, are senseless, we see ourselves in 
in Jonah's actions. Tarshish was probably his first choice because it was far from Israel. It was known as a godless people, godless place, and assumingly so, there, there must be godless people in there. No one knew the call that he had on his life in Tarshish. And in order to understand the actions of Jonah, we, we must understand what Tarshish really is. What exactly is Tarshish for us? It, it is a place that is free from the obligations and accountability that God has placed on our lives. When he wanted to free from the presence of flee from the presence of the Lord to go to Tarshish, he picked a place where they would not have the expectation of him being a prophet of God. They didn't know the high call that in the honor that he had on his life. They didn't know who Yahweh was. And we do the same thing. We have inadequate community. We, we search for inadequate community when we hear the voice of the Lord and we don't agree with it. So we, we surround ourselves not with people who will hold us accountable, but we surround ourselves with people who applaud our mediocrity. They applaud us going to church. They applaud us for, for uh, mediocrely reading our Bible occasionally or, or being able to quote scriptures that we learned 20 years ago. They don't know the, the call that we have on our life, and we surround ourselves with these type of people in order to, to flee the presence of, Lord, of the Lord, and consequently fleeing the obligation that the Lord has placed on our lives. We also, we also see through his, his fleeing to Tarshish that he was fleeing from from the obligation to do what the Lord has said. We do this too. We inadequately plug into church. We keep our community and our church family at a, at a far enough distance out of our personal lives that we can remain disobedient without the discomfort of people knowing the call that God has clearly called us to. So we have the appearance of obedience as children of God, but spiritually we are residing comfortably in our own Tarshish. We are no better than, than Jonah. Jonah here, up until this point, had served the Lord faithfully. But we see that when he was asked something that went against what he believed, what he believed his justice system was, when, when his ideal of justice didn't align with God's ideal of justice, we see him fleeing to a place justifiably in his own mind because, because God didn't line up with my, my, the, my ideal of justice. I must not be wrong. God must be wrong. And, and we see when we flee from the presence of the Lord, we do so in justifiable disobedience. And what I mean by that is we justify our acts of fleeing from the call that God has called us to. We justify 
why we can't obey the voice of the Lord. We justify why we just can't do that. The, the, the Bible is clear in, in its intent for his people to be missional. And, and, and though Matthew 28, 19 tells us to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, we somehow justify year after year not discipling not making disciples, not, not going ye therefore and teaching all nations, not sharing the gospel with our co-workers, not sharing the gospel with our own family that is living under our own rules. Year after year, we are responsible for not going ye therefore, not being the sower of the seed of the gospel. And yet, and yet we call ourselves children of God. We are, we are justifiably disobedient. We have Plenty of excuses why we can't share the gospel. We have plenty of excuses why we can't serve in the way that God is asking. We have what we call conditional service. And it indicates, based on an, an inadequate sense of justice, we see in Jonah's case, he has an inadequate sense of justice. The people of Nineveh were heinous. They were, they were evil. So surely they didn't deserve God's mercy. Surely they don't deserve God's grace. And he determined, he, he had his own ungodly desire to determine good and evil for himself. When God is the, the author of, of good, he is the one who calls things good. He, his every decision, his, his superpower, if you, if you would, is that everything that he decides, every decision that he makes is right. He is righteous. He is holy. And when we go against God, it's not him that's wrong. It's not him that needs to change his mind about what he says. It's us that needs to change and conform to what God is saying. And Jonah, in this moment, with his feelings toward the Ninevites, he is unwilling to do that. We see that he heard the voice of the Lord, but today he hardened his heart to the voice of the Lord. He was willing to obey, but not when it went against what he believed. And we see this same spirit of Jonah resides in us today because we hear the voice of the Lord. But if it if it takes us out of the God of comfort in our lives, are we willing to obey or are we slow to obey? We are brought to a decision when God speaks into our lives very clearly the commands of God. We can either obey him or we can disobey him. I find I've, I've been able to observe uh, Josiah's actions a lot lately due to this crisis of COVID-19 and being, uh, <laughs> having uh, no child care. So I'm the child care. So I get to, I get to spend time with my family. This, this, this awful disease is causing me to be able to spend time with my family. And, and it has been an extreme blessing. And sometimes... My son Josiah, he, he hears my voice, but all the time he doesn't listen. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't know how he does it so smoothly, but he, he, could be, he has such a strong will about him that when I call his name and he knows that I'm going to stop him from doing what he wants to do, he doesn't even flinch at the, at the call of his name. When I call his name, 
It's, it's, it's almost as if he has changed his name. He has made up in his mind so much so that he will not even, even turn around when he knows that I, I don't want him to do something that he wants to do. And this is the same attitude that Jonah has taken. When he heard the voice, he did not even flinch, but ever so casually, he arose like he was going to obey and went the exact opposite way that God was calling him to. We see that a hardened heart is dangerous. Is, is dangerous to the people around us. Um, first, my first point is fleeing. A hardened heart causes us to flee from the presence of the Lord. We find comfort in a hardened heart that disobeys and ignores the word of God to flee the presence of God. And secondly, in verses 4 through 6, we see that a hardened heart actually invokes the grace of God, but it does so in a unique way. Verses 4 through 6, it says, when, when he went away to try to get away from the presence of God, it says, verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. This isn't exactly what we think about when we think of experiencing God's grace. This does not seem like the picture that you get in your mind when the choir stands and sings amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. But this is the grace of God. A hardened heart provokes the grace of God in a situation. We, we think that it provokes the wrath of God, but when we look at it as a, at, a, at a bigger picture, we see that Jonah was not harmed during this storm. But this storm was, was triggered to get him to repent and to turn from his rebellion. This storm, we see, was necessary to keep, actually to keep Jonah safe. And we see that it has other benefits to it. Uh, a lot of the commentators will say out of anger, the Lord provoked and hurled a storm into Jonah's path. But I say out of love, God hurled this great wind to cause this great storm to, to uh, usher Jonah back into the grace and the will of God. No one can experience God's grace without being rightfully deserving of death. No one can experience God's grace without deserving his condemnation and his wrath. Meaning only the undeserving receive, truly receive God's grace. There is not one of us standing here or living that deserves the grace and a second chance from God. The same thing that he was withholding from the Ninevites, God was giving him and lavishing this grace upon his life. And, it, and it's not what we think. It's not this, this calming, the, the grace of God is powerful. And I would dare to say that the grace of God is even more powerful than the wrath of God in most cases. Because the grace of God is what overcame the wrath of God on the cross of Christ. The grace of God took 
a lot more restraint. The grace of God caused our Savior and our Lord to come and wrap himself in to flesh and to suffer and bleed and die in order that we would not have to. The grace of God is a powerful thing. And the grace of God is an aggressive thing. The grace of God is aggressively aggressive toward saving his people. It, the grace of God has such a zeal for the people of God. The initiation of grace in the life of Apostle Paul looked like that he was knocked off his horse and struck with blindness. The initiation of grace in the life of the prodigal son was that he was uh, impoverished, abandoned by his friends, and nearly starving to death to the point where eating out of a trough next to pigs was the desirable thing. But all of these acts were geared at getting God's people to repent and to turn. And we see that this storm was a supernatural storm. It was one that was wielded by the hands of, uh, uh, of the person who created and crafted the sea. This was a well-placed storm. He knows exactly what he's doing when he places storms in our life. And it is up to us as God's people to, to, to see and to recognize I think Jonah did recognize exactly what was going on. He knew exactly why that storm was there. But the mariners that were with him did not. Let's look at their reaction. The mariners were afraid. These masters of the sea who, who has made this trek many, many times, and, and, and this is their skill. This is what they've dedicated their life to. They've seen storms before, but they have not seen storms like this one before. It says that the mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God and hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. The storms in life sometimes God initiates is, is God's initiation of grace in our lives. We see different times in my life, I see different times in my life where nothing would go right, but I knew that I was in direct disobedience to God. And I went headlong into it anyway. I, I recall a time where I don't know what was going on, but I had made up in my mind that I was going to do it on my own strength. I was going to succeed, and I had a picture of success for my life. And I would make plan after plan. And every plan that I made failed. Every plan that I made came with a new storm. And, and my mom called it right. I'm hard-headed. After the first storm, I should have turned and I should have repented. But no, out of my own intellect, out of my own will and might, I created another plan that did not involve God. I refused, like Jonah did, to cry out to my God. Because in that moment, I knew that my picture of success for my life did not line up with God's picture of, my, of success for my life. And I ran to my Tarshish, and I tried to make it work. This, this is what the story of Jonah teaches us. It shows 
himself stronger. God shows himself stronger in areas that we thought we were strong in. He shows us that he is the master of the sea to, to a bunch of mariners who do this for a living. He, he shows himself the, the, the master of health care in crises like this where, where man's wit and intellect fail. That's where God thrives. God's people ought not be shaken by the events that are going on today in the world. It, we should live each day the same way whether there's a pandemic or not a pandemic because there's nothing in this world that we can handle on our own. Everything that we do should be leaning and depending completely on the strength of our God. These storms are made, crafted, well-placed by God to, to, to get this humble response from his people. After seeing the waves come up over the ship, they said that they began to jettison the cargo. Now, jettison the cargo was a desperate move by mariners. This was all of their stuff. This was their possessions. This was everything that they had planned for. This is the whole reason why they're even on the water. This is why they're going to their destination. And they, they by jettisoning the ship, they, they said, they're saying that whatever my plans were, it's out the window. We are at the mercy of the wind and the waves at this point. And, a, and the very thing that the mariners were doing physically in the heart of Jonah, he refused to do. He refused to jettison the hatred that was weighing down his heart. He refused to jettison the bitterness toward the Ninevites. He, he refused to jettison that hardness that he had started to build up toward the voice of God. And there was no stability. A jettison move is to restore the stability of the ship, to lighten the ship in order for it to float because it had began to sink and, and be overwhelmed by the elements. And we must... If we are to obey the voice of God, if, if these gracious storms that God placed in, places in our lives, we have to jettison some things out of our life today. We have to get rid of some things. There, there's some things that are in our life right now today that are causing us from obeying the word of God. I don't know if it's a relationship. I don't, I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's the sense of control that we must have. But he is, he is sending storms in our life in order that we have humble submission, repentance to the voice of God. Grace through these storms messes up our plans. It totally takes us off of the plans that we have have for our life. These storms that we have are, are meant to breed humility. And, and when we resist these storms of grace in our lives, we just invite more wrath, more wrath of God into our life. More grace, if you would have it. His, God's, own, God's loving request is that we would submit, turn, and repent. Sin perverts the order and plan for God's good world. 
And in this moment, in this story, we have such an upside down narrative and such a perversion of God's plan for the people of God. Now, he has an extraordinary opportunity in this moment to witness to people who are totally lost, to to people who are fearful and at their wits end in their areas of strength. There is one person on this ship that has the answers to the crisis at hand, and he will not open up his mouth in order to give it. The hardness of the heart, the danger of the hardness of heart is that is that as we resist the words of God, we place everybody around us in danger. Not only are we inviting the wrath of God and the, and the grace of God into our lives, but everybody around us who was there to help us, they are in danger. We see that these people who took on Jonah took on also his mess. And because of Jonah's disobe- disobedience, their lives were in danger. I I often think about all the people who tried to help me while I was knowingly in disobedience to God. I placed those people's lives in danger. And he would not cry out. We have a ship that is threatening to sink and kill everyone on board. Every pagan mariner is calling out to God. And the one Christian on board is, is asleep peacefully in the bottom of the ship. And will not, refuses to call out to God, refuses to open their mouth in order, to, in order to remedy the situation. We do this all the time. We are Jonah. We are Jonah. We see people at their wits end every day. We see people at, frustrated with politics. We see people frustrated with them not having a cure for, for all of these things, we see an extreme frustration with this whole situation and pandemic on our hands. And, and still, we are talking about politics as the people of God instead of talking about our God as the people of God. We refuse to open up our mouth and be the church. I think we have an extreme opportunity here. Throughout history, we've always thrived through adversity. The people of God has always thrived through the through adversity, through persecution, Christianity persists. Through, through lynchings, through mobs, we've persisted as a church. When we didn't have walls to meet, we met in a forest. When we didn't have walls to meet because this place, Forest Baptist Church, burned down, we made provisions. We still found ways to be the church. And this COVID situation, this COVID-19 situation is no difference. Through adversity, God has given us an extremely great opportunity to be the church outside of the walls. Will we let four walls and meeting here stop us from being an effective body of Christ? Our Christianity is not predicated on our situation. To have a soft heart to the word of God means that no matter In season and out of season, we hold our integrity as the people of God. And and right now, more than ever, it is the time for the people of God to be the people of God, regardless of the situation, regardless of how people are hopeless. We are not like those who are without hope, but our hope lies in Jesus the Christ. We have an, uh, an extraordinary opportunity. And I challenge us today, that is the application for this sermon. A hard heart 
causes us to flee from the presence of God. Our hard heart causes us to invoke the wrath of God. But a soft heart, we see in the mariners later that they repent and they turn from their ways. And they trust God with their whole heart. They make vows to him. And this is what we must do in this situation. We have to have soft hearts to the word of God. God is speaking. God is speaking. God is preparing us for what to come. We have been trained. We have heard the word of God. We know how to read our Bibles. We know that the only hope that we have in life and death is in Jesus Christ, in his word. We know that the only thing that we can lean on and that is stable in this life is that Jesus Christ has already won and won the victory on our behalf. We know that his word is the only thing that's going to stand up in times like this. And it is our time through these situations to be the church, to be the ones who are leaning and depending and turning others to depend on the word of God. We haven't, we haven't done a great job at discipleship. We haven't done a great job at evangelism. But now, more than ever, God is sending this storm, and, and we have a choice. We can keep our mouths closed like Jonah did, or, or we can know what the word says, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How can they hear without someone to teach them or, or tell them, we know you're not a prophet, but guess what? Just like a prophet must maintain himself in order to stand and hear from God and say what thus says the Lord. That's what Christians do. We maintain a relationship with God. We long and we thirst to hear from him. And then we share what we know. We share the hope. We share good news to the world that Jesus Christ came and he died a death that we deserve. He made all things right. He, his blood, his sacrifice, his righteousness was imputed on us on the cross of Calvary. He came and he sacrificed and he laid down his life so that we wouldn't have to live hopeless during these times of trouble. That we didn't have to be the ones who were scatterbrained and fighting people for toilet paper and beating up old people for, for the last can of food. We can be the ones who are still generous during this time. We can be the church that are displaying the characteristics of God. But it, it requires a soft heart. Today, when you hear the word of God, harden not your heart, but allow it to be malleable to what God is saying. Lend your ear to what he's saying. He's speaking. He's speaking to us today. This, this pandemic, this quarantine, this time with your family, maybe it's his way of saying that we need to get in the word as a family together. Okay, you can't meet with anybody but your family. Are you going to still do your devotions? Is there people in your home that is not saved, who doesn't know the Lord as their Savior, their, their Lord and personal Savior? This is, is an extreme opportunity that we have before us, and I pray that we answer his call. God bless. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to, before you, Lord God. Thanking you for your word, Lord God. Thanking you for your direction. Thanking you that you are a God who, who, though we're not worthy, you speak to us, Lord. 
You speak to us and you give us comfort and you give us guidance through, through hard times, Lord God. And you are a God who will never leave us nor forsake us, but you are with us always, low even into the end of the age, Lord God. Thank you. Thank you for your hope, Lord God. Thank you for your peace that passes understanding, Lord God. Please, Lord God, give us the courage and the integrity to be the church even outside of the walls, Lord God. Allow us to step up where we've failed before. Lord, I repent right now that I haven't been all that I need to be. But God, Lord, I thank you for another opportunity. I thank you for this extremely blessed time that you've allowed me to live, Lord God. I thank you for the time that you have given me to spend with my family. I thank you for your gospel, Lord God, that transforms hearts, that, that, that transforms the lives of sinners, undeserving sinners, Lord God. I'm thankful that you offer your grace to only those who are not deserving of it. Dear Lord, Allow your word to go forth and save lives. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.